Welcome to the Equipping You in Grace podcast. We are so excited that you are joining us for the show today. This podcast aims to explore a biblical life view in a conversational tone. Let's join our host and founder of Servants of Grace, Dave Jenkins, for today's episode. Thanks so much for listening. Welcome back to the Equipping You in Grace podcast. My name is Dave, and I'm the host for this podcast. And with with me today, I get to talk to my friend. His name is also Dave. Welcome to the show, Dave. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, you're welcome. Uh, can you please tell us a little bit about your life, marriage, ministry, and some of the current ministry projects that you're working on? Sure. Uh, so my primary role is as a pastor of counseling and discipleship at uh, Cornerstone Baptist Church in Roseville, Michigan. So we're uh, about four miles north of Detroit proper. So uh, just just right here in the in the metro area and. Uh, so that's my primary role. I counsel and teach and train counselors, and uh, so have had a, a very wonderful ministry here for the last uh, almost six years. Uh, so not very long, but but a decent amount. So married, been married uh, 15 years, or almost 15 years. Uh, my wife and I have three kids, and uh, uh, that is uh, uh, a full-time uh, work there. So we have an 11-year-old, 8-year-old, and a 2-year-old. Uh, so uh, that keeps us uh, busy when I'm not at church. So yeah, yeah so that's uh, that's the primary work that I do. Excellent, excellent. Uh, so what current ministry projects are you working on? Yeah, I have a couple of, of things in the uh, uh, in the works of speak. So we, I just finished this book with PNR, um, which you're you're uh, interested in today, and then uh, I have a few other works that are just sort of in the preliminary stages. So we've got a um, I've got a, a book on um, helping victims of trauma begin to process. Uh, the events that have um, surrounded their life here. And so uh, that's uh, just in the sort of preliminary stages. And then my wife and I are working on a book on eating disorders. Um, so I'm writing from a counseling perspective, and then she uh, had an eating disorder for about 10 years. And so she's adding some personal experience to that work. And so we're, we're excited to see that get into the hands of uh, both sufferers and helpers. Uh, and so, but uh, that's still in, in the works as well. Excellent. Well, I look forward to those if the Lord allows those to be published Uh, i know those will be great um can you yeah can you uh tell us a little bit about your book addictive habits changing for good why you wrote it and how it's being received yeah well i can't say a whole lot about how it's being received i don't i don't get a whole lot of feedback in that regard there was some some kind endorsements of the work um initially uh and then uh it's it's you know little little notes of encouragement here and there i know uh, a couple of respected counselors are using it in their ministries um and then uh, um, I know uh, Redemption House, which is a, a men's residential program um, in, I believe, uh, Minnesota. Uh, they're actually um, using it at their location um, as a supplemental tool for their guys. So that's been encouraging. Um, uh, but uh, in terms of uh, in terms of overall acceptance, I don't know a whole, whole lot about that. Um, but uh, but the reason I wrote it really was that it was a resource that I wanted to use. Um, there are loads of great you know uh, books on addiction out there and there are some even great ones from a biblical counseling perspective but what I found was we were often struggling to adapt those resources to um, our particular um, uh, approach to counseling and, and addictions and so we wrote I wrote a book that that kind of fit with our philosophy of ministry and that I felt like our guys could relate to and would be accessible to them 
him. And so, uh, yeah, so the motivation was purely selfish. I, I wanted a resource that I could use with the guys in our recovery program at our church. Hey, that's okay. It's good to resource your guys and, <laughs> and provide a help to them. So that, that's a good desire. Um, how did you come to minister to addicts? Yeah, it wasn't part of my plan. You know, I, I was uh, like probably a lot of young guys going into ministry. I just thought I was going to preach some really good sermons. And then, you know, the church was going to do phenomenally well. <laughs> and uh, uh, God you know, sort of uh, dismantles that um, pride and idealism pretty quickly in ministry. And so uh, I wasn't too long into ministry and got um, pulled into helping a church plant um, get off the, the ground and serve as a counselor for that church plant. And uh, within within a few months, I was just meeting person after person after person who was struggling with substance abuse problems. And the church that we were um, uh planting and serving, uh, the community we were serving was composed of a lot of drug rehabs. And so about 70% of our congregation at one point was from drug or alcohol rehab. And so I had no experience. And uh, and so God kind of threw me into the deep end. You know, I was able to get some assistance, help and education from a godly mentor who had about 30 plus years of counseling alcoholics and serving in ministry. So uh, that kind of happened, uh, you know, not by accident, certainly by the Lord's design, but not part of my original plan. So Hmm, wow. I don't think I knew that, but that's awesome. Yeah. Praise God. <laughs> it was uh, a great experience. Yeah. Uh, I, quite a lot of challenges. But. Yeah. What are what are some of the, the biggest challenges? I mean, you know, in that context, uh, in that context at that time, I think oh, the biggest challenge really was um, ignorance. I just didn't know very much about uh, substance abuse and I didn't know very much about uh, rehab and recovery. And so trying to find ways to be helpful. I mean, I remember individuals asking me, you know, questions like, can God help me with my, my opiate addiction? And I knew the answer was yes, but I had no clue how he was going to be. Um, you know, there were other challenges just in terms of, uh, you know, when you interact with crowds that sometimes don't have a lot of familiarity with church or who didn't uh, grow up in church or who hadn't been part of church in a very long time, sometimes their expectations and their awareness is different. And so, you know, we had men and women who, you know, he could leave rehab to come to church. And so his girlfriend would meet him at church and they would make out during the sermon. Wow. Uh, or we had guys who would lock themselves in uh, in restrooms and uh, Lord knows do what. Uh, and so we did some unique challenges that we were just not prepared for and that naturally seminary didn't walk you through, here's how to handle this. Uh, right. So there were just some different circumstances that we had to learn and adjust to on the fly. Yeah. Hey, how do you define an addiction? Probably... A simple answer would involve a, a habituated pattern that I can't seem to quit even when I want to. Uh, but, you know, more technical definitions will involve things like tolerance and withdrawal and dependency. Um, I really love the language that Ed Welch has developed on this subject. He talks about addiction as a voluntary slavery. And I think both those words are really helpful in sort of clarifying the issue. Because on the one hand, you know, there are choices that we make. Um, and so there is a sense in which addictions are moral issues. Um, you know, Welch talks about them as a worship disorder. Um, so we're making choices. We're making decisions. Uh, we are responsible for uh, aspects of, of addiction. Um, but the slavery piece is a, a recognition that there, which um, because I make my choices, I'm not really making the decisions anymore. They're just sort of taking root and taking hold. And so in that sense, I become in bondage. I want to quit, but I can't seem to. Yeah, that's that's good. You know, you just mentioned Ed Welsh and his work. Uh, what other works have been really helpful for you as you've um you know, 
begin to think and work on this in this area. Yeah, I mean, Welch's book, Addiction's Banquet in the Grave, is a, a phenomenal resource. Uh, and, you know, Welch is an experienced counselor. He's a biblical counselor. He's also got a background in neuroscience, so he can speak and, and gives a lot of credibility to his, his work and insights. Uh, other books, I think Mark Shaw uh, has a couple of resources on addiction. And Mark is a, another biblical counselor who's also uh, got a master level uh, addiction certification. And so uh, uh, he's got a, a lot of credibility. His book, uh, The Heart of Addiction, is very helpful. I think his best book is uh, called Relapse, which is basically a workbook on relapse prevention from a biblical perspective, which I don't think anything else like it exists. So it's really excellent. And then uh, probably a more uh, dense work is by a Christian philosopher named Kent Dunnington. It's called Addiction and Virtue, and he kind of explores this realm of habit uh, that's been really helpful for me. Hmm, wonderful. I don't think I've actually. Uh, it's not often that I that I say this, but I don't think I've read those other other. Uh, I've read Welch's book, but not the others. That uh, yeah. So yeah, I mean Welch's is pretty standard and and much loved. So uh, you can't go wrong with having read that one. Yeah. So um, how do addicts begin to take responsibility for their actions, their attitude, their thoughts and desires, and what do they do with them? Yeah. So those are uh, categories that develop in the first part of my book in terms of helping. You know, we we in our program talk about four R's as the structure of, of our philosophy of counseling uh, and the first R being responsibility and I think you know taking responsibility for choices is sometimes easy but getting guys to look deeper than that and think through issues of of attitude and thoughts and desires, uh, that's uh, maybe a little bit more difficult and uncommon, uh, but, but what we want to see. So I, I think for, for the most part, you know, we're talking about accepting that I have played a part in the development of this addiction. Uh, and so getting guys to take responsibility means getting them to own, this is this part is my fault. I'm responsible in that sense. I, I need to work on changing this. And so, uh, you know, we, we talk to guys about learning to identify my attitudes and thoughts and desires, acknowledging you know, what about them might be sinful or inordinate, find the origins and motives that lie behind those actions and thoughts. And um, so getting guys to sort of uh, identify and, and own that these are mine and I need to be willing to give these up or work on addressing and, and sort of reorienting them. How um, how do they how do most people generally respond to that? Uh, you know, there's always an initial affirmation. Uh, yeah, yeah, you're right. That's true. I, I, I you know, I think very few people think that they are totally they have no responsibility whatsoever in the situation so very few people think that most most of the men and women that we work with they would say they know that they're making wrong decisions and choices the challenge i think is when you start pressing to make changes there's about a million excuses why well this is not my fault or i can't make that change or uh and even guys that are well informed now we've got guys who will say to me you know i know i should delete that phone number um but you know it's really a heart issue so deleting the number is not going to do anything and so you know it's a sort of an excuse to why i shouldn't have to make these changes because really you know it's it's uh, it's about my heart being changed and only god can change my heart so that's sort of up to him how do you uh, how do you overcome those kind of objections with people? Well, I mean, I think one of the things that we're trying to do is to say it's a whole lot harder to address my heart issues if I'm just getting into the simplest temptation right out of the gate. Uh, if I'm distracted by uh, routine and simple temptations and trying to resist this temptation and that temptation, then I never really devote myself to working on issues of the heart. 
Um, so, you know, we want to tell guys it, it is an issue of the heart and you do need to work on, on those deeper things and you do want to cry out to God and ask for his help. But where you can do a real practical thing, you need to do a real practical thing um, where you can, uh, where you can um, uh, put to death whatever is earthly in you. You need to do that even while you're asking God to help you get uh with other things. Oh, that's that's a great answer. Uh, in what way will meditating on the person and character of God and a one's relationship with the Lord Jesus help addicts to begin to experience true and lasting change? Yeah, so the second of the four R's in, in our philosophy and in my book deals with relationship. And so, uh, you know, we recognize God is the real source of help and the real source of change for people. Uh, and so, uh, you know, getting them to, to gather a, a picture of who this God actually is that they're being invited to trust and invited to cry out to makes a huge difference. I think for a lot of guys, um, when they sin, whether it's with relapse or with something else, their tendency is either to think, you know, I'm too shameful, too awful, and I have to, you know, sort of hide from God, or uh, I just need to try harder and be better. And so that doesn't invite them to go to the source of help to be a sort of their own savior. And so the more that I know God, the more that I know, yes, his, his seriousness and judgment and holiness, but also his grace and compassion and forgiveness, uh, the more I'm inclined to go to the one who can actually provide me help. Uh, and so we, we have a strong belief that the, knowing the character of God and certainly knowing the person of Christ makes all the difference uh, because it continues to give me hope and perspective uh, when I fail and when I fight. Excellent. How can Christian friends and ministry leaders help addicts develop a strategic plan with the addict that will help them uh, pre- prevent their relapse? Yeah. Um, I mean, this this involves knowing the individual in play. So, you know, I want to know something about a, a person's daily routines. I got to know something about the common triggers in their life so that I can sort of tailor a plan that really fits this individual. Um, so, uh, an example might be uh, one of the guys in our program a number of years back recognized he was abusing his medications uh, and that as he used his medications, it was tempting him to go down other trails and seek other substances and outlets of, of uh, sin. Uh, and so he, we worked out a plan that he was going to um, uh, relinquish control of his medication to his counselor. And so his counselor was responsible for sort of allotting here the number of pills that you need for this week as prescribed. Uh, gave him one of the little pill counters, pill boxes, so that he had Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, all the way. When those ran out, he would come back the next week with his um, uh, pill box, and the counselor would fill it up again for him. So it was a, a way to fully tailor for him. If this is becoming a trigger, then let's intervene to remove that trigger, at least for a time, and see if you can build some momentum and resistance. Hmm. So a lot of it is involved knowing the daily routines and the triggers for an individual so that you can tailor a plan that helps to provide some some intervention at the points that are most needed. Hmm. That's really, really helpful. Really, really helpful. Why is it important for addicts to have a long-term, carefully thought-out plan for how to remain faithful to Christ in the long term? So the, the third R in our philosophy is uh, uh, restructuring, which is what we talked about in the last question, and then the fourth one is remain. And so I think here we're really just trying to get people to see life is bigger than uh, addictions. And most of the time, guys end up falling into, um, men or women end up falling into addicted habits because they're not 
really good at dealing with the rest of life. And so if we don't have a plan to sort of look beyond our addiction at all the other parts of our world, and, and really we talk about stewarding all of life for God's glory. So if I don't learn how to kind of honor Christ in, in my communication, conflict resolution, and in my finances, and in my parenting, and so on and so forth, then I'm really probably just setting myself up for relapse. If I don't know how to manage those worlds, then I'm probably going to fall back to the the way I used to manage them, which is through substance abuse. So in our our thinking, it's about trying to see a bigger picture. Um, And I think what usually happens with with individuals is they're gung-ho about help and counseling and recovery and all those things when there's crisis. But once the sort of the height of crisis is over, then they think everything's fine. I'm good. I'm going to go back to the way things were. And so we want to try to encourage people to have a a more long-term plan for growing in godliness so that you don't just fall back sort of default to what you used to know, those sinful and destructive habits. Yeah. I love what you're you're talking about here so far because you're not only wanting you're wanting to help the person you want to come alongside them but then you're helping them to identify the issue to to dig out the you know the root of it so they can actually experience change i mean right i mean addictions really are a symptom of a of something else they're a sort of surface level presenting problem but there's a there's a deeper issue at play here Uh, we talk about addictions as either an avoidance of pain or a pursuit of pleasure and so trying to pull back the layers and figure out what am i trying to avoid why am i trying to avoid it or what am i trying to feel and why am i trying to feel it uh, allows us to get at what what has always been called the core issues or the deeper issues or in biblical counseling, the heart issues. Um, So addictions are a surface level issue. Yeah, that's really, really helpful. What is the place of the local church in helping helping addicts? I mean, I I think the local church, in in terms of the the role of helping an addicted individual, it's it's really not a whole lot different than it is for everybody. It is it provides, the local church provides support and accountability. Um, And I think, um, really truthfully, the church needs to do a better job of being engaged with with this particular issue um, because at this point in history it is such a um, such a crisis issue it is everywhere and it is devastating um, I mean uh, even secular culture talks about the epidemic of opiate uh, abuse um, and so it's it's really a massive problem uh, and I think one of the ways that the church can be the most help is really just including addicted individuals in the body of Christ helping them to see uh, you belong here you're you can be part of the body even while you struggle and even while you're trying to change um, is to help them connect to the body of Christ uh, and Christ himself in that regard. Um, So providing support and being a network of people, helping hands of compassion and care, and as well as being a network of accountability that says we're we're not going to let you just go your own way and do your own thing. We're going to help you and support you, but we're going to hold you accountable as well. We're going to issue consequences and make expectate have expectations of you. So yeah, I think that's a fantastic, fantastic answer. I mean, really, I think the the more that an addicted individual feels like they, they really do belong in the church, I think the healthier their recovery process is going to be. And we've seen the fruit of that in our own ministry. So we really 
I'm, I'm a strong advocate of the church as best they can, knowing not every church is equipped and, and as able to be involved. But uh, but as best they can, the church really coming alongside an individual who's struggling with a substance abuse problem. Yeah, that, that's really good. So we're, we've been talking about, you know, counseling addicts and, and how to do that. But how specifically can pastors and ministry leaders help church members to walk with those facing an addiction? So how can the church help church members? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think probably the most important thing that a church leadership can do is try to help cultivate a culture of confession. That's a lot of cuz there, but uh, <laughs> uh, try to try to cultivate a culture in your church where confession of sin is the norm. Because uh, I think two two things happen. On the one hand, you know, addicted individuals often have that sense that my sin is the worst and the ugliest, and nobody wants to hear about that, and nobody can uh, tolerate uh, my struggle, and I just don't belong here. But I think the other spectrum of it is if and when a person does confess, it does seem like the church doesn't know what to do and doesn't know how to be helpful and is overwhelmed and sort of shocked and dismayed. And if we make it a habit that hearing other people's sin is not a shocking thing, but a normal thing, I think that goes a long way to creating some equality among members and allowing those who don't struggle with this particular sin to find ways to connect and to relate and say, you know, I, I maybe don't have a substance abuse problem, but I know what it is to want to quit sin and not be able to quit sin. Uh, and so building some bridges in that regard so that we create better and healthier community for those who are struggling and wanting to change. Do you think that that, that, would, that would start? I mean, obviously, there's some debate about the pulpit and how much do you share and obviously yeah. there is a, a level of you know you have to be not share overshare right um, but i do think that it starts i mean obviously we would both agree that it starts there but what, what would that what would that look like like you know we, we talk about this subject but just like really practically yeah what would that what would that look like in your mind well i'll tell you what what we've tried to do we've tried to do a couple of things on the one hand we've tried to use less extreme examples uh, of sin in our preaching so the temptation i think in preaching and, and giving illustration of sin or speaking to sin is to use the really what we might call the sort of big, gross cultural sins. Uh, and, and addiction is often one of them. Uh, but, uh, you know, in the, in the big picture, that probably doesn't help the majority of people in our congregation who aren't struggling with some of those things. And it does harm those who are and think, well, I definitely am not going to tell anybody I struggle with that. So I think to use the more banal or run-of-the-mill things that you know everybody's struggling with, whether that's, that's gossip or whether that's, uh, you know, overeating or whether that's um, sort of a, a sinful worrying or a sinful temper or so using those things that can connect dots for people to see, you know what, I'm I'm the sinner in this room. I'm the one that he's speaking to, not those people out there that are doing those you know, what I consider really bad things. So I think on the one hand, giving people a framework that says uh, the big sins are, are just one of many that we're all struggling with. But I think, too, you know, I do think there's a place for pastors to admit, at least in in some uh, general fashion, yes, I, I am still a, a, a struggling Christian who, who has sins, who has um, temptations, and recognizing from the platform, I'm not, I'm not that different from you all. I've got the same problems and struggles, and, uh, you know, I 
I, I lash out at my wife and kids when I know I shouldn't, and I've got to ask their forgiveness. And so I think you know, being overly descriptive is probably unhelpful, but being but being honest about about the reality of your weakness is good. And then I think inviting one another to confess to one another. So one of the things we do um, from time to time in our service is we'll encourage one another. Uh, you know, before you leave today, turn to the person next to you, or maybe in the middle of the sermon, we'll stop and have a time where uh, members will turn to one another and share a current need for prayer and say, this is a sin I'm struggling with. Would you pray for me? And one of the ways that that really was uh, fantastically utilized in our recovery ministry, one of our guys who has a heroin problem came on a Sunday morning, and that happened to be uh, what was happening in the service. So he turned to the person next to him who happened to be a 90-year-old woman in our congregation. Hmm. And he thought, oh my gosh, I cannot share with this woman what I have been doing, what I'm struggling with. And she proceeded to share with him, you know, that she was struggling and here were her, you know, sins. And he said it was so inviting and so humbling that I did. I did feel free to share with her what I was struggling with. And not only did she pray for him in that moment, but every time she sees him now, she will come and hug him and let him know that she prayed for him and talked to him. And he said it was just a huge turning point for him to feel like he really was part of the body. Wow. Praise God. Yeah, that was great. That's awesome. That That's just, wow. I have no other words. Wow. That's awesome. <laughs> that's great. Love, love hearing that. So Dave, as we wrap up this conversation, what are, what are a few of your biggest takeaways that you want people to take away as they go ahead and pick up your book? Yeah. I mean, I, you know, in terms of the book itself, I think I would want to say it's, it's, it's a book that's got a broader um, audience in mind. Um, so it's called Addictive Habits, not, you know, substance abuse or addicts or drug addicts or alcoholics. And so, you know, I think one of the things that's been interesting to see um, in my own life and in the life of others as I as I work with those who struggle with substance abuse is to find, boy, you know, the patterns and behaviors and ways of thinking that that individuals with substance abuse problems have are not really that different from the rest of us. Um, you know, the particular manifestation of their struggle is more pronounced and, um, you know, more serious perhaps in terms of its health consequences. Um, but uh, uh, it's not that different. And so, you know, the, the principles uh, that we've developed in our philosophy of counseling are relevant for all kinds of problems. Um, and so we utilize the same grid and we utilize the same book for those who struggle with, um, you know, uh, shopping or eating or video game play or pornography or cutting or and so we find there's a lot of parallels uh, and that the problems that we tend to think are really extreme are actually just different manifestations of the same kinds of heart issues and habits mm-hmm. and so the book I think has a broad appeal um, in that regard and I think it's a very well written oh uh, that's kind of- I mean you are I've told you this before privately now on recorded air that uh, <laughs> you are very good good writer and gifted writer and i know other people have told you that as well so dave i I really appreciate your heart you've given me uh given us our listeners um very good pastoral biblical help and uh really just uh not surprised by that because that's what i know of you and uh, to do and so i'm just really thank you brother thank you it's it's kind of you to interview me and uh, i I hope there's something here that's helpful to somebody and uh, i hope that the book will be a good resource for for many people so thank you for for taking the time to talk about it with me you're very welcome my brother thank you so much for listening we hope that you were encouraged by today's episode don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review wherever you get your podcast 
For more uplifting and thought-provoking content, please visit us online at servantsofgrace.org. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Servants of Grace and on Facebook at facebook.com slash servants of grace. We hope you have a blessed day and we will see you next time.